The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. One of the challenges that uh, comes in doing a series like this is that uh, the truth is, as men and women, we just tend to think about things very differently sometimes. In fact, for example, this is something that all of us probably as adults have, have either said or, or thought at, at some point in our lives, which is simply this. As long as it's not broken down on the side of the road, do we really need to talk about it? See, women, that's how you feel about cars, and men, this is how we feel about relationships, right? And now I know that that's kind of a, a little bit of stereotyping, but many times it's true. And just like the best time to actually check in on your car is before it breaks down on the side of the road, the very same thing is also true about your marriage relationship as well. And so that's what we're doing together over the course of these five weeks as we talk about what it is that every single married person wants, but also what it is that every single person who wants to be married someday also wants, which is to live happily ever after. And so um, this series is for married people, But it's also for people who are single and who want to be married someday or who want to be married again someday. And it's especially for those of you who are engaged, maybe just recently got engaged during the Christmas season, or you are in a relationship that is kind of moving towards engagement. Because one of the other things that is true about every single one of us is that all of us, we kind of carry around with us an invisible list of uh, of hopes and dreams. And see, when you're single, right, and you're not dating anybody, um, the truth is this is a very undefined list. But as you progress in a dating relationship and as that relationship moves closer and closer towards marriage, um, these things become more and more defined. You have some hopes, you have some dreams, um, you have some, some, some wishes that you have about your future and what it is that you think the future is going to look like. And if you're engaged, right, if you're engaged, hopefully you've actually talked about what some of these things are with your fiance. And hopefully you've also heard from your fiance some of the things that are on their list. And if you're married, right, you should definitely know. You should definitely know what is actually on your spouse's list, right? And the truth is, some of us do and some of us don't. And that is part of of the problem, right? Because all of us, again, all of us actually have some hopes and dreams when we think about um, the future. You've got a picture of of what it is that you want to live in someday. You you have a picture of where you you want to live someday. You have an idea of how it is that you think you're going to spend your free time, what kind of vacations you're going to take, where are you going to travel? Are you going to travel in the United States? Are you going to travel outside of the United States? You have a picture of what free time with friends is going to be like. How much time will there be with friends? How much time are you going to spend together as a couple? Is there going to be kids someday? How many kids are there going to be someday? See, all of us, we have some hopes and dreams as it relates to our future. Right? And then, of course, for all of us, no matter what kind of relationship we're in, but especially in marriage, um, there has to be conflict resolution. Right? In fact, when I usually meet with, with couples doing premarital counseling or in the early stages of marriage, usually the thought is, well, we're just going to be completely honest with each other. Right? We're just gonna, the way we're going to resolve conflict, we're just going to be completely honest with each other. We're going to be extremely honest with each other and just get everything out on the table. And you know, that way we can just kind of talk through all of it. Meanwhile, the other person's sitting there thinking... No, that's how you hurt somebody's feelings, right? You're, no, you don't be completely honest with the other person. You don't say everything that is true. You just make sure that what it is that you say is true. 
And see, then there's this big one, right? There's this whole question of how is it that we're actually going to treat one another, right? Because all of us, all of us, when we think about our future, when we think about our marriage, we have an idea. We have a picture of how the other person's going to treat me. How is she going to behave towards me? How am I going to behave towards her? What am I going to do when, right? My husband, my, my wife, they're never going to use that term. They're never going to use that word to refer to me, right? If she loves me, she will never. If he loves me, he will never. See, the truth is it's quite possible that many of us have never really even stopped to talk about this specific question, and yet the truth is all of us, we have some very, very specific ideas about how we expect or we think we're going to be treated inside the context of marriage. Now, the truth is, See, the truth is there are actually several factors that go into determining what it is that ultimately ends up on our hopes and dreams list. And research actually tells us that these things come from three primary places. These things come from the families that we grew up in. They come from the previous relationships that we've had. And they also come from the, the culture or the community that we live within. That's what research actually tells us. And, and they tell us, it also tells us that all of us We are either trying to avoid something from the past or we're trying to recreate something that we have experienced. And see, the challenge in all of these things, that in the middle of all of this, right, is me, right? Because these are my hopes and these are my dreams. And so the truth is, 24 years ago, when Autumn and I stood at an altar in front of God and even in front of some of you, um, what, 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 what I did and, and what you did also, if you're also married, even though you know, none of us probably realized it at the time, is what you did is you looked at your spouse or your soon-to-be spouse and you looked at them and you said, I, I need you to, to make these things actually come true for me. Make these come true for me. Because, see, this is what I've always dreamed that my future would be like. This is what I always hoped my future would be like. In fact, the reason why I pursued you, the reason why I asked you out, the reason I said yes when you asked me out, the reason I asked you to marry me, the reason I said yes when you asked me to marry you, the, the reason I walked down the aisle with you is because these are my hopes and these are my dreams for what it is that my future is going to look like. And see, I need you to come through for me. But see, the challenge is this, and again, we all, we all, all know this, right? When, when, when my list of hopes and dreams, when, when I actually take this list, right, and I, and I go to hand it to somebody else, it doesn't feel like a bunch of hopes and dreams to that person, does it? No, no, to the person I hand this to, it begins to feel like expectation, It feels like a a burden has now been placed on them. It feels like a responsibility. It feels like the the bar has now just been raised. Because I understand, sure, it may not happen right away, but but, one day we're going to get there, won't we, sweetie? One day. I mean, I understand it's not our dream house right now, but we're working towards that. Right? He hasn't gotten rid of that yet, but he will. She hasn't changed her mind about that yet, but she will. I mean, we haven't gotten there yet, but we will. I mean, we will, won't we? Won't we? And again, the problem is, and you know this, you've, you've felt this, you have experienced this. I'm just putting some words and ideas around things that you've already, already experienced in, in your life. The problem is any time that we attempt to recreate or avoid something from the past, that is exactly what transforms our hopes and our dreams into 
expectations. And see, this is true in every relationship. This is true even in the best relationships. This is true even in the best marriages. And so when a husband and a wife, when they swap lists, right, and those hopes and dreams that we all have, when those things begin to give way to expectations, the truth is we end up doing one of four things, the most extreme of which is we leave. We look at the other person and we say, you know what, this isn't what I pictured. This isn't what I signed up for. This isn't what I expected. Um, You weren't honest with me. You, you, you weren't clear with me. You, you didn't, th- th- this is not what I want my future to look like. So listen, I'm out. I, I, I'm done. I, I, am, I, I am out of here. And, and you know what happens when you leave? You go looking for a new person, right, to just hand this list of your hopes and your dreams to. The second thing that we do if we don't leave is that we win. Because in every relationship, there usually is a a stronger personality, right? And so when this happens, that stronger personality, they tend to power up and they they win. And when that happens, the interesting thing is this. The, The winner, right, the winner is happy. In fact, the winner thinks that life is great. And the truth is, for them, it really is great. Everything is great because now there's actually two people working on my list. The, the third response is really just the response of the, to the person who wins. It's to conform. Right? It's to conform. We become somebody that we're not right? to compensate for somebody who won't love us. We become somebody that we're not to compensate for someone who will not accept us for who we are. We abandon who we are in order to become someone we're not, hoping to make that other person happy. Now, and the, the interesting thing, again, is that, that conforming, it does actually work for a while. I mean, it really works for the person who wins, right? I mean, that's obvious. But see, conforming also works for the other person as well because it lowers the tension in the relationship doesn't it? And the person who conforms, they actually begin to hear themselves say certain things. They say things like, well, um, as long as she's happy, I'll just deal with it. As long as he's happy, I'll I'll just deal with it. But see, at the end of the day, when you give up who you are in order to become someone that you are not, not only do you lose yourself, but see, your spouse, they also lose the very person that they actually fell in love with in the beginning. Now, the fourth response is actually the most common response. In fact, this is the, by far the most common response. The most common response is that we just simply, we compromise. We compromise. In fact, for many of us, for many of us, we actually think this is the goal. We think this is the win. We think this is happily ever after. But see, the truth is, in a compromised relationship, rarely is anyone truly happy because in a compromised relationship, there is always low trust. In fact, the trust continues to get lower and lower and lower over time. And wherever there is low trust, there is also always low intimacy because you cannot be intimate with someone who you do not trust. And you will not ever fully give yourself to someone that you cannot completely trust. In fact, I'll go so far as to tell you this. The secret, right, to to great sex in marriage actually has nothing at all to do with sex. It has nothing to do with anything that is physical. 
It has everything to do with intimacy, and intimacy has to do with trust. Now, the truth is, a marriage that is characterized by any one of these three things, winning, conforming, or compromising, it really can go the distance, right? You can end life together. You can stay together. But your marriage, your relationship, will never be as fulfilling as your Heavenly Father actually intended it to be. But see, the good news is there is actually a better way because the best marriages, the marriages where both people really are truly happy, happily ever after marriages are not built, uh, they're built on something that is very, very different right, than winning or conforming or compromising. Because that kind of a marriage, that kind of a relationship, it always leaves you feeling the same. It always leaves you feeling like you owe me, right? You owe me. Right? This is what husbands are supposed to do. This is what wives are supposed to do. This is how men are supposed to behave in a relationship. This is how women are supposed to behave in a relationship. You owe me. You owe me. There's all this bickering back and forth all the time, and the bickering is always about the same thing. It's always about you owe me. And see, the problem is, is when any relationship, and especially a marriage, is characterized by this dynamic, the problem is this. You cannot receive Love. You cannot recognize love, you cannot give love, and you cannot receive love. And see, let me just simply illustrate it this way. If you owe me money, and you give me money, if I get that money from you, I do not receive that money as a gift, do I? If you owe me money and you give me money, I receive that money as payment. I don't think of it as a gift. I receive it as something that I am owed. Anytime your relationship is characterized by you owe me, you cannot recognize love. You cannot give love and you cannot receive love. And so the, really the question for all of us is how do we keep all of this from happening? How do we keep our very legitimate hopes and dreams that every single one of us have from becoming and feeling like nothing more than just a bunch of expectations. Now, to answer that question, we actually have to go to the very foundation of what it is that Christian marriage is all about. And I don't know what your background is on this. I don't know, um, you know, how you were raised or what you've been told in the past about all this. But see, a Christian marriage is not a marriage which is conducted by some sort of a Christian code of conduct. That is not what makes a marriage Christian, right? A happily ever after marriage is not built on a specific code of conduct, Right? Um, in fact, if you are in a serious relationship with somebody, if you're engaged with somebody and you're headed towards marriage, and the topic of your conversation with each other is always about how to get the other person to behave rightly or act correctly, I am telling you, put the brakes on that relationship right now. You are headed for a world of hurt. Because happily ever after marriages are not built on specific codes of conduct. They're not even built on specific roles. Happily ever after marriages are not built on some sort of an exchange of goods and services. Instead, happily ever after marriages in general, and Christian marriages specifically, which is what we're talking about together in this series, are actually built on a singular command which has been given to each of us by Jesus himself. Because it was Jesus who, on the night before he was crucified, gathered his disciples up together into an upper room, and he said to them this, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Now, the truth is, for many of us, these words are very, very familiar. And so they're words 
can oftentimes lose the significance that they have on us. But see, Jesus, when he made this statement, he was making a huge, huge statement to his disciples because what he was telling his disciples was that right now, as of this point, as of this upper room moment, Jesus was saying, from now on, all 613 laws that you grew up with and that you know of and that were used to govern your behavior and your actions towards other people, from now on, Jesus is saying, all of those laws, I am reducing all of them down to one single command. You are to treat other people, Jesus said, the very same way that I have treated you. And so from now on, that means for us as followers of Jesus, these are actually our marching orders. In fact, the interesting thing is this. As you read throughout the New Testament, as you read the New Testament letters, what you discover is that every single imperative that is given, every single command that is given after the resurrection of Jesus, all of them have as their foundation this singular command to treat each other the way that Jesus, the way that I, Jesus says, have treated you. All of them have that as their foundation, to love one another as I have loved you. And so years after Jesus' resurrection, as the Apostle Paul begins to write his letters, as he writes his letters not to Jewish people but to Gentiles who were followers of Jesus, the Apostle Paul, what he does in his letters is he actually begins to apply Jesus' final command to every area of life, including marriage. And so whenever you read the epistles that Paul writes, and whenever you read any of those letters that say do this or don't do that, right? here's what you always need to remember. Every single one of those commands has as their foundation Jesus' final command to treat each other the way Jesus has treated us. Right? The Apostle Paul, he doesn't just start making up a bunch of stuff. That's not what the epistles are. This is not Paul saying, wouldn't it be really good if? Wouldn't it be really nice if? If you want to be a better person, do this. That is not what's going on. He is taking Jesus' final command and he is applying that to every single area of our lives today. And see, it's in the book of Ephesians that the Apostle Paul actually applies this command from Jesus to marriage. So take out your Bibles, open them up to Ephesians chapter 5. If you're using one of those Bibles in the seat back in front or behind you, it's on page 1,823. Ephesians chapter 5, uh, we're going to begin at verse 22, which is right, it's the very first sentence at the top of the paragraph. Very familiar words to many of us. The Apostle Paul writes these words in verse 22. He says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Now, everybody, eyes up here for a second. Listen, listen. if this bothers you, right, if you're honest and if you say to yourself, okay, whenever I hear this, the very first thing that comes into my mind is abuse. If when you hear this verse, you think to yourself, okay, that's what I don't like about Christianity. That's what I don't like about the Bible. This is why I left church years ago. This is why I don't trust people who call themselves Christians, right? If that's you today, if you're here today, and those are the kind of feelings that you have in your heart when you hear this verse, okay, then the truth is I am so glad that you are actually here with us this morning because what you're about to hear this morning is so incredibly important for you to understand, for all of us to understand as people living in the United States in 2019, many of which would call themselves followers of Jesus. And see, the truth is, this is actually one of the sections of Scripture that I love talking about the, the most 
In fact, when I was in college, when 24, 25, 26 years ago, when Autumn and I first met in college, she would tell you that one of the very first things that actually made her interested in me, she doesn't know I'm going to tell you this this morning, one of the things that actually made her interested in me was she happened to hear me teaching a Bible study at our college to other college students on this particular section of Scripture. So you get to experience that together this morning. So here we go. So as you know, as you know, right, um, most of you know, probably know, um, the New Testament is originally not written in English, it's originally written in Greek, and then it is actually later on translated into English. So this is verse 22 in the original Greek, right? Isn't that, isn't that impressive? <laughs> Get ready. Hoi genoikis tois idios andrazen hosto Cairo. Right, Yes. Isn't that, uh, isn't that presumptuous? Um, but he, you can be impressed at my horrible pronunciation of Greek. So, Tony, that's for you. Um, but see, th- okay, so, so this, right, this, this is the literal Greek. When you translate the literal Greek into literal English, the sentence, verse 22, this is what it says. Wives to their own husbands as to the Lord. Which, if you stop and actually think about for a second, makes no sense. Right? There's no verb in the sentence. Grammatically, the sentence makes no sense. Now, why is that? So we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. But see, in the very first century, when, when people read what the Apostle Paul wrote, right? This, this didn't offend anybody. Because in that day, the truth is, men had legal jurisdiction over their wives, over their children, which basically meant that their wives, in particular, but also their children, were the same thing as property. And so the thought was like, okay, well, of course, you know, we submit, wives, we submit to our husbands, because if we don't, right, our husbands, um, they can have us arrested. They can have us thrown into jail. Um, In fact, they could do anything they want to us, uh, and nobody's going to care. Nobody's going to stop them. And so this deal, this statement wasn't a big deal at all. Um, to women living in the first century, but see, it is a big deal to us today. And the reason why it's actually a big deal to us today is because of what the Apostle Paul goes on to say in this very next section of Scripture that we're going to look at in just a moment. But see, the reason why there is no verb in this Greek sentence is, in fact, because of a a kind of grammatical Greek shorthand that's often used um, in the New Testament and in the Greek language specifically, where you make a statement using a particular verb, and then all you do is you just infer that verb in the subsequent statements. And so, if we really want to know what the verb should be in verse 22 of this statement in Ephesians, we actually have to look at the verse preceding it, at verse 21, which if you look in your Bibles at verse 21... It says this, it says, submit to one another. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. See, every time the Apostle Paul tells us to do something, he points us back to Jesus. Not to the Old Testament, not even to the Ten Commandments. He points us back to Jesus. And so what Paul is saying here is just as God, through Jesus, has done something extraordinary for you, Right? You are to demonstrate that very same kind of extraordinary love in your relationships with each other, including your marriage. You are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And see, this word reverence here, what this means is a sense of awe. 
This is a sense of, okay, God, I can't believe you'd actually forgive me for what I've done. God, I can't believe you would actually die for me. God, that you would continue to call me your own, that you would continue to claim me as your own, even when I turn my back on you, even when I break my promises to you, even when I do exactly what you've told me not to do. God, you still claim me as your own. And Paul says, all of that awe that we feel, all of that reverence that we feel for what it is that God, through Jesus, has done for us. The Apostle Paul says, listen, that's not to be translated just into church attendance, not just singing worship songs. No, that's to be translated into how it is that you actually love other people. And if you are married and if you are a follower of Jesus, then Paul is saying to you to translate that same sense of awe into submission to your spouse, wives to husbands, and husbands to wife. And see, that is what makes a marriage Christian. That is what makes a marriage happily ever after. And if you're here today and you're looking for that thing, right, that tweak, that change, that adjustment to change the feel of your marriage... Right? This is the thing that you are looking for. This is what takes a marriage away from what have you done for me lately to the whole idea that I'm here for you and you're here for me. But see, I'm not here for you because you're here for me. No, I'm here for you because Jesus was here for me when I needed a Savior. And yes, we may have different, um, different responsibilities in our relationship. We may have different roles in our relationship, just like we have different gifts and different talents. But we do not have different value. Why? Because that's what Jesus taught. See, what the Apostle Paul actually said next is the part that you and I take for granted today. But this is the part that was actually shocking in the first century. In fact, this is the part that makes why we just read feel so offensive to us in our world today. Because again, in that day, in that culture, submission was just assumed But what the Apostle Paul says next was not, because he said in verse 25, husbands love your wife. Now, we hear that today and we think, well, of course. I mean, of course we love our wives. But see, in the first century, men heard that and they thought, no, you you can't say that to me. I am not obligated to love my wife. My wife has an obligation to me. And see, the Apostle Paul says, okay, wait a minute, not so fast. Not so fast. He says, husbands, love your wives just as. Right? This is it. This is the link you should be looking for. Every time you read a command after the resurrection of Jesus, this is the link you should be looking for. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, again, these were followers of Jesus the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to. And at that time, in that age and in that culture, the only people who were actually educated enough to read this letter from the Apostle Paul were men. And so when the men received this letter and they read it, they were like, okay, wait a minute, Paul. We know the rest of the story, right? We we know what it is that you're talking about right here. We know things did not end well for Jesus. So, Paul, are you really saying to us as husbands that, that, that what Jesus did for us, what Jesus did for the church corporately, Paul, are you really saying that we as husbands are supposed to do that very same thing for our wives? Paul goes on, verse 28. 
In the same way, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. In other words, Paul says, let me make this very clear for you, right? Husbands, you are to care for your wife. Husbands, you are to protect your wife as if she were you. To, To which we want to say, Paul, how in the world is that even possible? And Paul says, it's actually very simple. Why? Because there is a mystery, he says in verse 32. He says, there is a mystery in marriage. There's a profound mystery, he says, that when two people are married, they actually become one flesh. That there is no more division. There is no distinction. When two people are married, Paul says, they become one flesh. And see, it's actually in this scripture that the Apostle Paul, just like Jesus before him, declares that men and women are equal. Now, in the first century, this was scandalous. In fact, there are parts of our world today where this is still scandalous. And see, women, young women, ladies, girls, you need to know, Jesus argued for your value. Jesus argued for your worth. Jesus argued for your dignity before anybody else in the history of the world. When the world said that you are nothing more than property, Jesus said, no, you are to be prized. No, you are to be treasured because you are precious to me and you are precious to your Father in heaven. And because of that is Jesus who said that you are to be treated with extraordinary value, that you, ladies, women, girls, are worth dying for. And so how do we, the question, how do we today, how do we today, how do we keep our very legitimate hopes and dreams that we all have from becoming and feeling like nothing more than a bunch of expectations on our relationship? Guys, I want to help you with this today. On the way home today, do not turn to your wife or to your fiancé and look at them in the car as you're driving home and say, so what's on your list? (laughs) Bad idea. Right question, right wrong time. Okay, wrong time. Now, you do need to ask this question. You do need to ask this question. But see, before you can ask this question, you actually have to be able to answer this question. Because you do have a list, right? We all have a list. You might not know what's on your list. You might not know what it says. You might not realize that you have one, but you've got one. And women, wives, you need to know too. If you do ask your husband this question on the way home and he looks at you with the deer in the headlights looking like he's like, I don't know. He's not stonewalling. He's not avoiding. He's not trying to stop the conversation. He does not know, right? I have no idea what is actually on my list, But we have to figure this out. We have to figure it out because, again, you do have one. And when you can answer that question, you really should ask that question. You need to ask that question because this is actually, this is the question that lets your spouse know that you're all in and that I am all in with you. See, this is the I want happily ever after with you question, right? Because you know you can't just just ask this question, right? I mean, you know that. Because this is the kind of question that has to be backed up with action. I mean, this has to be backed up with doing. Because value is always backed up with behavior, isn't it? Value is always backed up 
with action. And see, that means, that's the hard part, because that means that somebody has to go first. Somebody has to put their list aside first. Somebody actually has to make the first move. And see, in a marriage that has been defined by winning and conforming and compromising for so long that the truth is neither one of you can actually ever remember feeling or experiencing anything else. This whole thing that we're talking about today, that is a whole, that's a terrifying idea. I get it. I understand that. But I'm telling you, if you are here today and you know something needs to change in your marriage relationship, what we are talking about is how that change begins. I am not telling you it's easy. I'm just saying start here. And see, for those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, the truth is we are the ones who go first. And see, if you're married and if you are both in your marriage relationship a follower of Jesus, then see, the truth is, men, we go first. And I'll tell you why. Because when you were dead in your trespasses and in your sin, God, through Jesus, went first for you. He did something for you regardless of whether or not you would ever do anything in response to him. See, that is the gospel. That is the gospel. And this is why. All post-resurrections imperatives, every single one of them, all of the commands go back to what it is that God, through Jesus, did for you. At the cross, Jesus went first for you. So followers of Jesus, we go first. Men, we go first for our wives. And if you're there and you're wondering this morning, okay, but what about my list? That's where we pick it up together next week. Let me pray for you today. Heavenly Father, I know, Father, I know, I know that there is so much emotion um, around this topic in particular, and Father, I know that this section of Scripture especially, um, it can raise so many feelings in our hearts from, from gratitude and thankfulness to regret and hurt and everything in between. And so, Father, today, we, just, we, we put that at your feet, Jesus. That's the only thing that we can do. Jesus, we... we we, we, we rely on your gospel. We rely on, on, on the gospel for each of us in our relationships. Jesus, you need to gospel us through your word today. Because, Jesus, this is at your feet. And so, Father, I ask and I pray that as we read these words, as we hear these words, as we think in our hearts, Father, I hope that all of us would see this as a picture of your desire for your best for us. And Father, because the truth is, all of us, me included, me especially, because we all do fall short. We all do sin in our relationship with our spouse, with each other, in our friendships, in our families, and especially in our marriages. Father, we do thank you for your grace. We thank you for your willingness to forgive us. And Father, I ask that you would help us to actually forgive each other, to love each other in that way that you have loved us, not by our power, Father, no, by, by the power of your Holy Spirit who lives and breathes inside each one of us today. And Father, I also ask that you would hear us now as we take a few moments and as we personally and silently confess our sin 
to you. Jesus, thank you for going first. Thank you for going first for each one of us, for actually putting yourself aside and being there for us when we needed you the most, for actually being there for us before we even realized that we needed you. Jesus, thank you that you would actually go to the cross for us so that we would have not have to pay for our sin. And so, Jesus, we know because of your death and because of your resurrection, our sin, my sin, your sin, it is truly, truly forgiven. And Jesus, I pray that in all of our relationships, and especially in our marriages, that we would love each other the way that you have loved us. All this we pray, Jesus, in your name. Amen.